stabilizing brace, which is depicted here, when, a, when attached here, it turns this weapon into an automatic weapon. This bumps, it becomes a bump stock. And so it will allow that to essentially be fired like an automatic weapon. That's the danger. So spare me the bullshit. That arm brace is a means of saying that for individuals that have disabilities, this helps gives them more stability to be able to use the gun. But in fact, it can actually be used to help facilitate the weapon as a bump stock. Bullshit. I'm not against the Second Amendment. And I will take issue with any babble about this undermines the Second Amendment. It does not. It is to create a militia. Bullshit. These bullets don't just pierce. They explode inside the victim's body and decimate them. Spare me the bullshit. An assault weapon. A machine designed not for protection or for sport. Bullshit. I want to be clear. Some of my colleagues believe it's more important to have these weapons to go deer hunting than it is to ban them. Bullshit. Hi, I'm Roger Goodman, and if you watch the news or read Huffington Post, you know that you're 99.9856% more likely to be the victim of a firearm accident the second you bring a gun into your house. And that's why I'm here today to talk to you about a very important issue pressing today, America. Rogue guns running rampant across this land. Some people in the pro-gun lobby will tell you that guns are inanimate objects without free wills of their own. But that's a load of shit. You think you're safe when you leave that gun locked up in, it, in its safe with your kids when you're not home? Think again. What are you gonna do when this happens, bull tits? Hey, Tommy, why don't you come play with me over here? Oh, I'm not sure, mister. My daddy said I'm not supposed to play with guns. Oh, your daddy will never know, Tommy. Oh, mister, I'm not sure. My daddy will be real cross. Yeah, well, your daddy's not here, is he? Oh, you just killed that kid! You think you're safe because you take a gun safety course with your family and learn how to handle a gun responsibly? You're a piece of shit. Oh, but it's my right under the Constitution to protect myself from people and tyrannical governments, you say, you son of a bitch. And it's not just related to kids. Guns commit all kinds of crimes, like domestic violence. With that roast beef again? Bitch, what'd I tell you? I don't wanna eat that two damn days in a row, bitch! I already done told you! Oh, that revolver's a dick. But not as much as you for knowing better and you let him into your house, you son of a bitch. Guns also commit nefarious gang-related activities. Where's my money, I say? I don't wanna have to go there, you know, but I will. I will cut you. I will cut you. And just have an all-around problematic presence in the household. And if you, and that's why I, Roger Goodman, am here today with responsible parents for gun control against parents who own guns trying to take these terrors off our streets and away from your kids. Because there's no such thing as a responsible gun owner, only non-gun owners and pieces of human shit. And even though some people tell you guns don't kill people, people kill people, those people are pricks. So you can call this number here and call your local representative to make sure that there are no more guns on your street or in your house that could be taken up or be hurt by a kid. What'd you think was gonna happen pushing me like that, baby? <laughs> Being my wife ain't no pony ride, bitch.
Hey, greetings. Welcome back once again to Legalese. My name is Bob. Thank you so much for joining me here today. And if you happen to be new to the program, I would especially like to welcome you. Uh, this is a podcast where we discuss matters of constitutional law, uh, as well as current events in law, politics, and culture. Now, real quick, uh, we do this show in a couple of different formats. The main and best way to watch it is the video format that you can find on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. Uh, however, there is also an uh, audio-only version you can find on Anchor and Apple Podcasts. Uh, also, uh, there is a Legalese community over on Locals.com if you want to go check that out. And uh, you can do all of those awesome things that I just talked about and read like a ton of articles that I have written and continue to write about various issues of constitutional law over on my Substack page. And there are links to all of those down in this video's description. Go check them out. So today... This is part two of my series examining the Democrats' absolutely absurd, unconstitutional, unserious, un-American assault weapon ban bill, H.R. 1808. Today, we will also be taking the time to sit back and have some fun as we watch several examples of the Democrats who wrote and sponsored this bill in the House Judiciary Committee prove that they have absolutely no idea what they are talking about. They have a complete lack of knowledge about even rudimentary information regarding gun features, function, and lethality, and don't even understand their own goddamn legislation, which is incredibly interesting considering they wrote it. Now, just for example, uh, there was uh, a moment when uh, the bill's main author, David Cicilline, uh, claimed that the standard gun stock that has been a feature of literally every single fucking long gun ever made in the entire history of civilized man, going clear back to the Spanish harquebus, makes that long gun a machine gun. I move to strike the last word. Gentleman is recognized. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, I rise in opposition to the amendment. What this stabilizing brace, which is depicted here, when, a, when attached here, it turns this weapon into an automatic weapon. This bumps, it becomes a bump stock. And so it will allow that to essentially be fired like an automatic weapon. That's the danger. So I have to very strongly oppose the amendment. And I yield back. Oh. You ready? Why the fuck you lying? Why, Why you always lying? Why? Oh my gosh. Stop fucking lying, always lying to me. Why? You lying so much. Why? You making it hard for me. Then, when my very absolute favorite member of Congress, Thomas Massey, decided to get a little sassy and pointed out how literally nothing he just said made any sense whatsoever. And Massey was backed up by conservative outlet gigachad Jim Jordan, and they gave him a chance to correct his complete ignorance. He instead took the opportunity to double down on his ignorance and said something that somehow made even less sense. Bob, it's like fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Guess where the shame is now? Still you. I don't think. I thank the gentlelady for yielding. I, I just want to re reaffirm what uh, Ms. McBath just said. This stabilizing brace, when 
coupled with a buffer tube operates as a bump stock. Bump stocks are prohibited in this legislation for all the obvious reasons. This is, a, this is attempting to exploit a design flaw for pe persons with disabilities and use it to convert this into a bump stock, which will obviously make the weapon increasingly dangerous and easier for someone to fire. That's the reason this amendment should be defeated. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Now, the one thing that we will be touching on today that we didn't get to at all yesterday was talking about an incredibly important case uh, challenging New York's assault weapon ban that has been filed in federal court by the Firearm Policy Coalition. Now, this is a lawsuit that is going to be crucial to understand going forward, and no matter what happens, its significance is going to be huge. Uh, and in the very, very unlikely event that this bill, H.R. 1808, ever gets out of committee and gets a floor vote, and God forbid should it ever even be passed, that will make the case we are going to be talking about today the most important case in the country to be watching. But first, just so we are all up to speed, let me briefly restate uh, what we discussed yesterday uh, in much greater detail, just to make sure everyone who watched it yesterday, we're all just kind of caught up with where we're at on this. Uh, and just real quick, this is what this bill is going to do. Now, unlike the 1994 assault weapons ban that pretty much banned every uh, sporting rifle that had certain purely cosmetic features that made the gun look scarier without making it any more powerful, dangerous, or lethal, and uh, as opposed to their claims at the time, was not a ban on, quote, weapons of war. Since most modern rifles that meet that qualification are select fire rifles. Now, there was already an unconstitutional 1984 amendment to the NFA that made select fire rifles prohibited. So no one, literally no one in the United States since 1984 has been able to go in and buy an actual weapon of war. So when they say weapon of war, they just mean semi-automatic sporting rifles in common use for lawful purposes. But unlike the 1994 bill, which was already really overly broad, uh, this new bill goes way, way, way further. Not only will it ban those common semi-auto sporting rifles with these scary cosmetic features that the 1994 bill did, this one will also ban all semi-automatic handguns and semi-automatic shotguns. That means if this bill passes, pretty much the only guns that you will continue to be able to lawfully buy will be double-action-only revolvers and pump-action shotguns. And let me just assure those pushing this legislation uh, that this is an infringement that the vast, vast majority of gun owners in this country will not abide. There will be hundreds of millions of Americans whose guns they currently lawfully own who will see them become unlawful literally overnight and who will not comply with orders to turn them in or register them. I promise you that. You will be making felons of millions of Americans 
and the federal government will be essentially issuing a declaration of war against half the country. Now, I realize that, uh, like, I, I take absolutely no joy in saying that, and I truly, truly hope that doesn't happen. But I just to be clear, I promise, if this passes, we will not comply. As I talked about yesterday, right now there are nearly 27 million Americans who own nearly 45 million AR-style sporting rifles that will not comply. There are hundreds of millions of semi-automatic pistol owners who own one or usually multiple pistols that will not comply with this kind of despotism. Now, besides those uh, bans, uh, this bill also makes the ownership of any and all suppressors totally illegal, and it will make just about any kind of custom trigger illegal as well. And here's the thing, is there is technically a grandfather clause in this bill. However, the way this works is all those guns will have to be reported to a central gun registry and be locked up in a safe and secure storage area in such a manner that makes the gun not only functionally inaccessible to everyone who isn't the lawful registered owner of the gun, it also essentially makes them functionally off-limits to the lawful registered owner as well. Which makes every single one of those guns completely useless. Which I suppose is just as well, because, frankly, the only reason for creating a central registry of that kind would be so they could come back and pass a new law calling for the forced confiscation of all those guns. And they will be much easier to take if they are being kept so inaccessible that they can't be used for one of their primary purposes, which is for their owners to use them to defend themselves against a tyrannical government's encroachment. Now, on the plus side, I suppose if that happened, Joe Biden would finally be sending Beto O'Rourke door-to-door to demand, hell yes, we're here for your AR and your AK. But anyways... Let's move on to discussing that assault weapon ban lawsuit that is the main topic of this video. Now, this is a federal lawsuit that was filed this week, and it argues that the Supreme Court's recent ruling against New York's restriction on public possession of firearms implies that the state's ban on assault weapons is likewise unconstitutional. This was filed by the Firearms Policy Coalition. Uh, I'll be referring to them as the FPC. Uh, and they note that the court unambiguously rejected the two-step analytical framework that the federal appeals court applied when it last upheld New York's law in 2015. And this is just the basic uh, information of the case. The case name is uh, Vanchoff v. James, uh, and I have a copy of the case complaint uh, as well as 
uh, a link to the court docket for that case down in the video description if you want to go get those things and uh, read up more on this. I would recommend you do that for sure. But this gives you a uh, basic breakdown of that case. Uh, so you can, uh, it, it, I think it will help to read the case brief to understand that the reason this suit is important is because uh, it will really only be able to end in one of two ways. Most likely, the Second Circuit will affirm its earlier decision and thus rule contrary to the plain reading of the Bruin precedent. Now, this is important because many judges in lower courts constantly did this after Heller and McDonald and used the case to rule the exact opposite of what the court's actual primary holding in the case was by relying on quoting convenient dicta rather than that primary holding. Now, the thing is, this really, really pissed off Thomas Alito Scalia and then later on uh, Gorsuch as well. And I'm quite sure that if lower courts try pulling the same stunt again, that at this point, the court absolutely has the votes to take up a case like this on appeal on the merits, and they would have no problem granting cert and taking this case up immediately. Now, the second and I think probably less likely option is that the court actually acknowledges that this law directly contradicts the Bruin precedent and that the circuit court will have no choice but to then rule the law unconstitutional. And if that happens, the only place left for New York to appeal after the Second Circuit would be, a, be an appeal right up to the Supreme Court. And they're simply not going to do that because, as it is, they are already trying to defy the Supreme Court on the uh, decision in Bruin and trying to not put into place the shall issue permit system that they uh, are supposed to be. And they're certainly not going to go in front of the court while they're not following that law and argue for not following this law. It's just they wouldn't do it. So uh, going to the case's complaint, they start off by talking about how in the landmark 2008 case of District of Columbia versus Heller, the Supreme Court said that the Second Amendment applied to weapons in common use for lawful purposes, which made a blanket ban on handguns unconstitutional. Now, the FPC argues that the firearms that New York has tendentiously labeled assault weapons clearly fall into the same category. Their complaint says, rifles built on AR-style platforms are a paradigmatic example of the types of arms that New York bans. AR-15 rifles are among those popular firearms in the nation, and they are owned by millions of Americans. A recent survey of gun owners indicates that about 24.6 million Americans have owned up to 44 million AR-15 or similar rifles. And according to industry sources, more than one out of every five firearms sold in recent years were a rifle of the type banned by New York. They go on to discuss how these kinds of rifles are very rarely used in crimes. Now, in 2019, according to the FBI's numbers cited by the FPC in their case, there were only 
364 homicides known to have been committed in that year with rifles of any type. Now, you can compare this with, uh, in that same year, 6,368 homicides committed with handguns, 1,476 with knives or other cutting instruments, 600 with what are known as personal weapons, which means literally just hands and feet, which, yeah, means that almost twice as many people in 2019 were literally punched or kicked to death than were killed with a rifle. And additionally, there were some 397 homicides with blunt objects. Now, it's important to remember that of those 364 homicides known to have been committed with rifles, only a subset of those rifles would actually qualify as assault weapons. This is because, and we have talked about this before, assault weapon is not in any way a technical classification. It is a political definition of convenience. It's not even a term of art. It's a term of politics, really. And so the thing is, you can't separate uh, the homicides committed by assault weapons from other sporting rifles because they know that these are the exact same fucking rifle. There's no way to actually, uh, on any technical level, distinguish between one and another. But anyways, the reason this matters is they talk about how prior to the federal assault weapons ban that expired in 2004, according to a widely cited study published that year, guns covered by such laws were used in only a small fraction of gun crimes. It was only about 2%, according to most studies, and no more than 8%. And most of these were pistols rather than rifles. Now, you might think that these facts would be enough to establish that these so-called assault weapons are in common use for lawful purposes. And as the FPC notes, millions of Americans use rifles covered by New York's ban for defense of self in the home, as well as for hunting and sport shooting purposes. Yet, when the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit considered that law in the 2015 case of New York State and New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Cuomo, it claimed that there was insufficient evidence to determine whether such rifles were mainly used for lawful purposes, even as it conceded they were certainly in common use. Now, in doing this, they were really just following the approach used by other federal appeals courts, and the Second Circuit assumed without deciding that assault weapons were covered by the Second Amendment. But, because the court thought the burden imposed by New York's law was less severe, it proceeded to uphold the ban under intermediate scrutiny, which requires that a restriction be substantially related to a compelling government interest. Now, uh, in that 2015 case, uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol v. Cuomo, uh, the court said that it is beyond cavil that the state's interest in public safety and crime prevention is indeed compelling. Hence, the only question was whether the ban was substantially related to that interest. They say in considering that question, the court said that we afford substantial deference to the preventative judgments 
made by the legislature, which they say was far better equipped than the judiciary to decide which gun regulations make sense. And under that approach, it was inevitable that the Second Circuit would conclude that New York's ban was consistent with the Second Amendment. But despite that, the court went through the motions anyway, both literally and figuratively, actually. Now, they noted in that case that these weapons are disproportionately used in crimes and particularly in criminal mass shootings. Now, it did not mention that most mass shooters, in fact, 77%, according to a recent National Institute of Justice report, used handguns alone. It did acknowledge that handguns account for an even larger share of total gun homicides, in fact, more than 90% in cases where the type of firearm was specified, according to the FBI's own data. But that evidence of disproportionate criminal use, the Second Circuit noted, did not prevent the Supreme Court from holding that handguns merited constitutional protection. Now, the Second Circuit also asserted that the assault weapons are especially hazardous. It endorsed the argument that the net effect of the military combat features targeted by New York uh, is, is a capability for lethality. More wounds, more serious, and more victims far beyond that of other firearms in general, including other semi-automatic guns. Now, to say that claim is dubious would be a ridiculous understatement. As the Associated Press Stylebook noted, the assault adjective conveys little meaning about the actual function of the weapon. And, in fact, yesterday on Twitter, the AP reminded reporters that they should avoid the term assault weapon because it is a highly politicized one. And if you look at how New York defines assault weapons, you will understand exactly why the AP went on to say that. Under New York's law, a semi-automatic rifle that accepts a detachable magazine is prohibited if it has any of several features, including a folding or telescoping stock, a pistol grip, a bayonet mount, a flash suppressor, or a threaded barrel. Possessing such a gun is a felony punishable by up to seven years in prison and a fine of $2,000 to $10,000. Yet, Removing the illegal features does not affect the rifle's lethality in any fundamental way. It still fires the same ammunition at the same rate, which is one round per pull of the trigger, and it fires it with the same muzzle velocity. And so instead of acknowledging that point, the Second Circuit tried to turn one of the plaintiff's arguments against them, and they said if any of the prohibited features are useful to law-abiding gun owners, they reasoned they also must be useful to mass murderers. They said, quote, the plaintiff explicitly contend that those features improve a firearm's accuracy, comfort, and utility. They went on to say that the circumlocution is a milder way of saying that these features make the weapon more deadly, end quote. What they failed to leave out, though, is that obviously the converse is also true. 
if those features are useful to mass murderers, as New York insists they are, they are also useful to law-abiding gun owners. And the FPC argues that, for example, that the folding or telescoping stock allows a firearm to be better fitted to an individual shooter. It increases maneuverability in tight home quarters as well as enabling safe storage of a defensive instrument in accessible spaces, and it allows for safe transportation, including in a hiking pack, an ATV, or a boat. Easy carrying over long distances while hunting and, along with pistol grips, open hunting and sport shooting to those for whom recoil represents a high barrier to entry. It notes the pistol grips improve accuracy and reduce the risk of stray shots by stabilizing the firearm while firing from the shoulder. It says flash suppressors promote accuracy in target shooting and hunting. In essence, the Second Circuit weighed the interests of the law-abiding gun owners who account for the vast majority of assault weapons users against the risk that the features that they value might make a difference in the very rare instance when someone uses such a firearm to murder people. Now, since the court deferred to the legislature's judgment about uh, which was more important, it's intermediate scrutiny amounted to little more than a toothless rational basis review. New York stated reasons why it expected the ban to promote public safety and that for the court was good enough. Now, with the Supreme Court's recent June 23 ruling in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin case, uh, they concluded that the state had violated the Second Amendment by requiring residents to show what they call proper cause for exercising the right to bear arms. They made it clear that the Second Circuit's analysis in Cuomo was fundamentally misguided. According to the majority opinion, in Heller, and in McDonald v. Chicago, which was the 2010 decision that applied the Second Amendment to the state and local governments as well, they expressly rejected the use of any judge-empowering, interest-bearing inquiry that asks whether the statute burdens a protected interest in a way or to an extent that is out of proportion to the state's statute's salutary effects upon other important government interests. And the lower federal courts, which for more than a decade after Heller were just continually, routinely rubber stamping gun regulations, evidently did not get the memo that their two-step analytical framework was a dance choreographed to conceal what was really going on. And that is that if a gun law struck judges as sensible, they would uphold it either by denying that it implicated the Second Amendment or by declaring that the burden it imposed was simply no big deal. And what happened in Bruin, of course, is the Supreme Court delivered to these lower courts an unmistakable message. Fucking cut it out. The Bruin decision rejected all interest-balancing standards in favor of a historical approach that asked whether a challenge law 
is analogous to restrictions that have been traditionally viewed as consistent with the right to keep and bear arms. Now, in the Bruin case, the court uh, went into this and said that we don't need to apply an an interest-balancing approach because uh, the Second Amendment, uh, as an amendment to the Constitution, was not only uh, drafted, debated, uh, and, you know, signed into law by the people's legislature, but it was also ratified in each of the several states, which means that when the Second Amendment was drafted, it was already subjected to an interest-balancing approach by the people who gave it legal force, its uh, writers and ratifiers, and therefore no further interest-balancing approach would be necessary because it already happened. Now, Anyways, a week after the Bruin case, and this is something we discussed in the last video, uh, the court vacated four appeals court's decisions that were upholding various gun control laws, and it remanded the cases for reconsideration in light of Bruin. And one of those four cases included a Fourth Circuit decision that upheld Maryland's assault weapons ban, which reinforces FPC's argument that the Second Circuit's reasoning in Cuomo was invalid. Now, it's important to keep in mind that this does not necessarily mean New York's assault weapon ban is doomed. And Heller noted the historical tradition of prohibiting the carrying of dangerous and unusual weapons. So, uh, New York can still at least claim that the guns it prohibits falls into that category. But of course, as the FPC points out, it is implausible, given the wide popularity of those firearms, to suggest that they are both dangerous and unusual. And that is important because the way that the lower courts have been applying uh, that phrase from Heller in the years since that case uh, was disjunctive, dangerous or unusual. If it was either one of those things, the weapon did not get Second Amendment protection. But in fact, what Heller said was it it was an injunctive, excuse me, not injunctive, conjunctive, a conjunctive statement. A gun must be both dangerous and unusual to not meet that protection. And even that was a fairly dubious part of the uh, Heller opinion, but that's neither here nor there. So anyways, moving on, the Second Circuit briefly considered uh, the dangerous and unusual claim in Cuomo. And they said the analysis is difficult to manage in practice because the AR-15 is the civilian version of the military's M-16 rifle. The defendants had urged that it should be treated identically for Second Amendment purposes, but the Supreme Court's very choice of descriptor for the AR-15, which was the, quote, civilian version, could instead imply that such guns traditionally have been widely accepted as lawful. Now, the FPC went on to argue that assault weapons are common categorically as they are all functionally semi-automatic in their operation. Common characteristically as they are all popular configurations of arms, e.g. rifles, shotguns, and handguns, with varying barrel lengths and common characteristics like pistol grips, and common jurisdictionally lawful to possess and use in the vast majority of states. 
and now and throughout relevant history for a wide variety of lawful purposes, including self-defense, proficiency training, competition, recreation, hunting, and collecting. And with that, the court concluded that uh, there is, excuse me, not the court, the FPC concluded in its complaint to the court that there is no constitutionally relevant difference between the guns that New York prohibits and the guns that it allows. Now, uh, David Kopel, a gun policy scholar and research director for the Independence Institute, concurred, and he, if you're not familiar with him, he is one of the nation's most eminent uh, Second Amendment scholars. The guy's fantastic. But uh, So anyways, he noted uh, that under Heller, all bearable arms are presumptively protected by the Second Amendment, and that it is the state that bears the burden of proof proving otherwise, such as by proving that the arms are, again, both dangerous and unusual. Now, Copa went on to say that it seems clear that assault weapons are in common use. And whether that status is measured by the total number zone, the percentage of gun owners who have them, or the number of jurisdictions that allow them, nothing that is in common use can be both dangerous and unusual. Now, at least two of the six justices in the Bruin majority uh, specifically shared this view. And one of them was Brett Kavanaugh, uh, and he had uh, dissented previously from a 2011 decision in which the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, back when he sat on that court, uh, upheld the District of Columbia's assault weapons ban. Then he said, there is no meaningful or persuasive constitutional distinction between the semi-automatic handguns and semi-automatic rifles. Semi-automatic rifles, like semi-automatic handguns, have not been traditionally banned and are in common use by law-abiding citizens for self-defense in the home, hunting, and for other lawful purposes. Moreover, semi-automatic handguns are used in connection with violent crimes far more than semi-automatic rifles are. It follows from Heller's protection of the semi-automatic handgun, that semi-automatic rifles are also constitutionally protected and that D.C.'s ban on them is unconstitutional. Additionally, Justice Clarence Thomas, who wrote the majority opinion in Bruin, likewise took a very dim view of such laws. Now, in 2015... When the Supreme Court declined to hear a case involving a local assault weapon ban, uh, Clarence Thomas vigorously objected. And in his dissent, Thomas noted with dismay that, quote, several courts of appeals have upheld categor categorical bans on firearms that millions of Americans commonly own for lawful purposes, which he viewed as clearly inconsistent with Heller. And concurring in Bruin, Justice Samuel Alito emphasized that the ruling did not decide anything about the kinds of weapons that people may possess. And Alito, who wrote the majority opinion in the McDonald case, made clear that in his opinion in McDonald's, it should stand, including the analysis about 
long-standing prohibitions, and dangerous and unusual weapons. And uh, furthermore, on that, uh, South Texas College of Law professor Josh, Josh Blackman writes, We should not expect Alito to be a lock on challenges to assault weapons bans. And this is because Alito's concurring opinion in the 2016 case of Catano v. Massachusetts, which ad- addressed a state ban on stun guns nevertheless suggests that he would be open to arguments like the FEC's that pertinent Second Amendment inquiry, he said, is whether stun guns are commonly possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes today. And one would assume that by that standard, assault weapons, like stun guns, would be covered by the Second Amendment even though the prohibited models did not exist when the amendment was written and ratified. And as a judge for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, Alito dissented from a 1996 decision that upheld convictions under a federal law that restricts the transfer on machine guns. But his objection was based on concerns that the law exceeded the federal government's powers under the Commerce Clause, and it did not conclude it was a violation of the Second Amendment. And also in 2017, Justice Neil Gorsuch uh, joined Thomas in objecting when the Supreme Court declined to hear a challenge to California's restriction on public possession of firearms. But it's not yet clear where he stands on the constitutionality of assault weapons bans. It, personally, I'm very confident that he will see them as unconstitutional, but the fact is we don't have any precedent to back that up. So anyways, uh, this this is also true for Uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who, in 2019, wrote a striking uh, Seventh Circuit dissent, concluding that the blanket ban on gun possession by people with felony records was inconsistent with the Second Amendment. And, concurring in Bruin, Kavanaugh noted that the Second Amendment allows a variety of gun regulations, and he quoted... Heller's reference to dangerous and unusual weapons. But judging from his 11th, uh, his 2011, excuse me, his 2011 D.C. Circuit Court dissent, he does not read that exception as a license for an assault weapon ban. But Chief Justice John Roberts, who joined Kavanaugh's concurrence, may view this issue differently. So really, in short... It's not clear whether a majority of the court is inclined to rule that an assault weapons ban is unconstitutional. However, I think that if I was a betting man, I would sure put my money on them uh, taking that position that an assault weapons ban is indeed unconstitutional. But what is clear is that courts like the Second Circuit will seriously need to rethink their rationale for upholding such bans. Well, that's going to do it for today. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me here on uh, Legalese. Now, uh, make sure uh, to check out my next video that I have coming up. And I talked about it a little bit yesterday. I spoke about it as my next video, which it'll actually be my next next video because 
that's not really important. Anyways, but it, essentially what we're going to be doing is talking about how uh, the individual right to bear arms still has relevance for public defense and security. And how this fact should warrant consideration when determining the scope of the right, including that the arms protected by the Second Amendment should continue to include those arms whose primary value is public security rather than individual self-defense. That's going to be a really, really, really good episode. I'm really excited about that one, actually. Uh, and then I've got a couple other good ones planned as well. So what you're going to want to do is make sure if you are not subscribed to the channel to go and do that right now. Uh, so you always know when I have new videos coming out. And then if you want to help me out with Al Gore's Rhythm uh, or the YouTube algorithm, uh, take a moment here and uh, click that little thumbsy upy button to let me know you liked the video if you liked it. Uh, if you disliked it, you're free to hit the thumbsy downy button, but I can't imagine anyone could hate this video. It, it was a good video. Uh, but anyways, yeah, and please uh, leave me a comment and let me know what you thought about this video. I always do really love uh, getting a chance to hear from you guys and to uh, talk with you down in the comment section uh, about the topics that we discuss in these videos. So please, uh, if you have anything to say, go ahead and do that, and I would uh, look very much forward to that. And so, one last thing I want to do, um, and I'm usually really not a call-to-action kind of guy, but this this law that we have just been discussing, the uh, H.R. 1808 assault weapon ban, is so egregiously unlawful and unconstitutional and immoral that uh, I am going to be linking down in the video description to a petition uh, by GOA, and uh, it is essentially a pre-written letter that you can add your name to, and it will automatically send that letter to your particular House representative and your two senators that tells them to vote no on banning so-called assault weapons. Now, this is very important because, as the saying often goes, Guns don't kill people. Tyrannical governments with a monopoly on firearms kill people. Besides, without guns, how, how would our forefathers have settled their differences? Eight, nine, ten, and turn! So anyways, until next time, uh, I have been Bob. This has been Legalese. Thank you so much for joining me here today. And of course, as always, Cartago de Lenta. Est.
smell that.